get to leap straight past uh, April Fool's Day. And uh, though it feels like uh, everything's been April Fool's Day for, for a little over three years. And um, <laughs> uh, it, I, I don't think that's going to slow down anytime soon. But, it, you know, one way or another, we can uh, at least uh, try to make some sense of things. And um, today, one of today's guest is somebody who's been trying to make sense of things for uh, for about seven years, though, though um, he, he hasn't solved the problem yet. Um, so, you know, it, it, well, I, I don't know if that's his responsibility, but I uh, know it's, it's, it's all getting crazier. Um, but the crazier the world gets as it spins around, the more it is that I think each person as an individual has to uh, imagine themselves as a researcher and say, how would I verify some aspect of reality? And I think the only way to do that is to, to, to do it yourself and then create a trust network uh, where, where you get to know the people whom you trust on a day-to-day -day basis and, and have instincts toward how it is that their research, um, fits into the world. Otherwise, uh, everyone is sort of, um, giving up proxy trust to uh, a sort of, you know, fictitious God that they don't know how is created. That would be, that would be the position of most people on the earth, but the, the way that we can do better than that is to um, research on our own. And today's guest is George Webb, who is one of the people most famous uh, on the internet over the past few years for stepping forward and saying, well, I'm going to research things on my own. Welcome, George. Uh, I'll, I'll let you give your own uh, introduction uh, a step further than that, if you like. I think that's a great introduction. I've spent most of the time uh you know, cracking the code is the easy part. It's getting the message through. You know, uh, James O'Keefe wrote the book called The Breakthrough. Your stuff is fantastic on Substack. You have a 30,000 some followers. You've done a great job of building this trust network like I have. Um, that's half the battle. I think that's 90% of the battle, actually. Yeah, uh, <laughs> absolutely. And it, it, it's not uh, simple to, to, to go and, and find people and, uh, and talk to them. Um, and, and it gets complicated uh, in all kinds of ways because with every story, you have to, it, it feels like you have to do some of these pieces all over again, right? Well, every individual is going to have different expertise. My background's technology. You're a mathematician. You're kind of a polyglot, though. So you're, you don't fall in any one category, I don't think. But, but most people do have kind of a, an area of expertise. So there is a coordinating function that, that is required. What we tried to do was do these little get-togethers of citizen journalists called charrettes. We've run about 32 of them, run them all over the country, some in Europe. Can uh, you say that word again uh, called what? Uh, it's called the charrette. Uh, it's a French word for uh, sort of a conclave. It comes from actually when Napoleon was decimating uh, Paris to redo Paris. And he built the opera house and there were so many artists working simultaneously on the opera house. They had a little cart called a charrette that they would put the plans in with the latest takeoffs so that the guy who was doing the framing didn't, you know, put a emulature right over something that wasn't there, you know, a minute ago. So, so it is kind of like a, a, a crucible of, of research is, is the bottom line. So, and you brought up the name uh, James O'Keefe, and I figured we would steer toward that today. And, and I mean, honestly, we could talk about whatever you wanted to, but that's been one of the interesting topics. Uh, you know, a few weeks ago, he he um, 
uh, came out with this explosive uh, video with, with the Pfizer guy, with uh, Tristan Walker. And uh, it was the biggest Project Veritas story ever um, by a lot from what I've heard, um, which which surprises me only a little bit. I mean, I guess it doesn't surprise me, but the, the amount that it was the biggest one by surprises me, perhaps. But um, it was also, um, I guess, Robert Malone sort of jumped on board the presentation of it. And uh, I, I got calls over the next two or three days, just people, you know, asking, you know, what what is going on with this? So James O'Keefe, now he, he's a he's another person who um, came in with a different approach to journalism. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'm going to say this. I'm going to give an opinion on James O'Keefe uh, just because I, I, I don't know how much this sets things up, but I just want to say it out loud. And the first time I heard of him was his Acorn report. I don't know exactly when that was, um, you know, a decade-ish ago, 12 years ago. Am I in the ballpark? <laughs> 14, uh, but Four. like, but certainly he was doing kind of these shock videos first and then he? and gradually moving toward solid journalism as we go. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So I, I saw the acorn one and then I heard the criticism. Oh, you know, it's like you know, gotcha journalism or something like that. And, and I, I could sort of understand that criticism at the same time. I, I could sort of appreciate what he was doing. And, and having, you know, hindsight, you get to think about these things for longer, right? And one thing that I've realized over time is, would any of this journalism ever get done without a mode like that? It's almost like technology was evolving. And there was this era in which he jumped in with gotcha shock videos. And you know what? It, it was actually, it was, it was pretty effective. Uh, was, I mean, I guess you'd have to go on a case by case question ask, did he violate any ethical boundaries or anything, anything like that? Um, I, I, I'm not sure if he did. I, I, I don't think that he did, but I, I, I'd be open for any discussion on that end. Um, from what I can tell, uh, his stories were pretty much true and every legal challenge he would win. So now, now he, he may have come to the end of a road. He may have poked in a bush that caused the hornets to well up on a board that he had with Project Veritas that had enough control over his job that they could at any one moment mob him and and destroy Project Veritas, which I, I assume Project Veritas is destroyed. I assume this was self-immolation because I can't imagine anyone else taking the helm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I think they're still rolling uh, and, and Matt uh, Termond wants to keep going and James Hink or uh, Barry Hinckley want to keep going, but they did a pretty good job of blinding themselves or like you say, self-emulation. I, I think of James O'Keefe as sort of like the uh, guy you have out at the mine who's the explosive expert. He really doesn't know metallurgy or anything. You know, it's just kind of like he, he drills the holes and puts the dynamite in there and blows out a whole bunch of stuff. And then the guys with the ax and picks and magnifying glasses and the rock kits, they, they go in after him. At least that's how I love to follow up James. Uh, and he certainly uncovered with this kind of org chart, uh, a kind of a roadmap, a treasure map to finding the, the story uh, of, of how mRNA happened, how remdesivir was resurrected, how, um, you know, hydroxychloroquine was knocked down, how ivermectin was knocked down. It's really been an incredible uh, journey or dig, if you will. Yeah. Um, and, and by the way, hydroxychloroquine, that was the story that actually sort of brought me into all this. I was paying attention to the studies from... Uh, essentially day one, uh, you know, February 2020 um, and onward. 
Um, but you know, focusing back on on James O'Keefe for a moment, I guess um, he he is now saying that that his next direction is citizen journalism, from what I understand. Yeah, so, look at those books. <laughs> I spent seven years trying to develop that out, and you know, James is. It's sort of like uh, him running to the front of the parade. Great, because he's such a mega power, mega star. I'm happy that he's bringing so many people to the game. And he started out with the hidden cameras, and but now he's shifting to where we are, which is, no, anybody with just a, 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 a cell phone, iPhone. So it's, the more the merrier. The more people doing this, uh, the better. Uh, it's the, the only chance I think we have at getting to the truth, really. Yeah, uh, kind of makes me feel a little bit validated. Uh, well, and, and it, uh, one thing I appreciate uh, in my conversation with you, and this has been frustrating to me, and it has made me wary of a lot of what has gone on in the medical freedom movement, which is that um, when I've told people about the Campfire Wiki, the Campfire Wiki, and for anybody who, who's watching who may not know, campfire.wiki is a wiki that was created uh, about a year and a half ago at this point, maybe, maybe even longer. I mean, it was, it was uh, a group of people who, who came to me and said, Hey, you know, we'll help you work on projects. So it's citizen journalism. And we said, Hey, we need a place to store things. So we came up with campfire wiki, sort of a nod to, um, the, you know, the conversation, uh, I guess Brett Weinstein may be most associated with it. Uh, yeah, thank you. There you go. Okay. I'll be your graphics guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It doesn't look quite as good on the phone as it does on, on, on the website, but, um, but, uh, you know, uh, campfire discussions was, was, um, maybe currently uh, best attached to Brett Weinstein. Um, but you know, we said, Hey, we, we just need a wiki that is not controlled like Wikipedia, right. And Wikipedia, um, and, and you know, today with like chat GPT or, or, if, if I'm saying that right, uh, with, with the chat bots, uh, the AI that's coming up, they go out and they find information and they, they focus a lot on Wikipedia. And by having a rule such that you have source control, you cannot quote a source that's not like officially approved. You know, I think that if you step a decade back that that rule created an incentive for corruption of those streams. And that the only way to unwind that is to have some some sort of like a citizen journalism um, that that happens and that is documented through through a wiki, and and that brings um, you know the eight hundred pound gorillas the the uh, the the celebrity journalists. I, I guess we can call James O'Keefe even a celebrity journalist. I don't mean that um, to be anything other than um, he's he's just you know so well known. Right. Pound gorilla. You call the 800 pound gorilla, 800 pound gorilla. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's a celebrity journalist. You know, he's, he, he's, he's going to be immensely popular and that, that he would bring a lot, a lot of attention to that. But, you know, stepping, stepping back again now. So he has the Tristan Walker story, the Pfizer story. So that comes out and you, you wind up having um conversation with him. I, I watched that and my immediate reaction to it was, there's something weird about this. It is being presented in real time um, with commentary by Robert Malone, almost as if it's like a documentary. When you watch somebody give commentary on something, it's usually not like commentary as in, hey, this just happened an hour ago. The, the way that he gave commentary, it felt to me more like a documentary in a sense. And, and I'm, I'm looking back and I'm trying, I'm trying to ask myself why it looks so weird. Of course, it looks weird because... Tristan Walker's 
freak out moment is this like it's just reality TV drama moment, right? I mean, he he is he is the guy that you would pick if you just wanted a reality TV drama moment. And then and then you have to ask, well, was he picked because he would be the reality TV drama moment? And then you ask, well, where would that selection occur? And and I don't I don't believe that James O'Keefe made that selection, which which made me scratch my head, right? Made me uh, pull out my hair, uh, and in by which I mean hair in the singular. Thinking okay. about you know what, you know what is actually going on here. Um, well, and there were some people who just wanted it to be like a cut and dry, like here you can see this is how Pfizer operates. But then digging in just a little bit, Tristan Walker was this sort of like plug-in man, it seems, who had um, who did not have anything like a, a lengthy career with any one institution, but was all over the place with Boston Consulting Group, and he was and he was not as high on any one totem pole as the title of his position might seem. It's like these titles get inflation over the years. And then and then you and James start talking, and this is one of the places. I, I want to give uh, shout-outs to a number of people. Mark uh, Kulak, um, you know, came into this story looking uh, a little bit deeper. Uh, but I'm, I'm just going to – I set this up. I'm just going to let you talk about this for a few minutes here. Sure. Well, first of all, I, I work a lot with Mark and we have gone to charrettes together. The first one in Annapolis, I've met Mark up in near where he lives in Boston. He's the deep dive guy. You know, when you send the guy in for the last guy to get into the tunnel, that's Mark. He really goes deeper than anybody in the tunneling uh, for finding the information. So he has a whole repository just like you do. You have campfire.wiki with all these articles. He has the same sort of database for entities. And then he has this huge video archive. So, you know, we're my thing I think about is how do I take a slice from all this every day and and give this stuff the uh, uh, advertising that it needs or, or exposure that it needs. But with James, uh, really, it was Google. It was called a compound search. And you just put in, uh, you know, Gordon, Christian Walker and anything. And I did coronavirus. And it came up with this Boston Consulting Group paper. Now, I would have thought a whole bunch of people would have done that search. Uh, like, you know, 50 million people have viewed this thing. I'm not going to be the first guy who thinks of a compound search for Jordan Walker. <laughs> and coronavirus. I mean, but I mean, isn't that the first thing you would think of is, well, has this guy written anything or, or right. done any speaking engagements? And what came up was this paper, and uh, the the paper was this Boston Consulting Group paper, which really resurrects remdesivir. I'm like, whoa! He, uh, he, did he have any background in remdesivir before? Anything with Gilead before this? No. And then Mark found a cor uh, like an hour later found the corollary paper for mRNA that Boston Consulting Group wrote, and the, and the significance was, like you said, the timing. It was occurring in May when nobody knew anything. Boston Consulting Group had this worldwide network of the global physician network or the global expert physician network. And so they were the gurus of this new novel thing. And so everybody was on their heels listening to Boston Consulting Group. And they really rem create a standard of care for remdesivir, even though it was a failed Ebola drug. And the WHO even knocked it down. Um, and then they create uh, the space race, sort of, for the mRNA 
Uh, and then they slow foot all these other repurposing studies, uh, which is Bob, Bob, Robert Malone. And Mark's done a lot of things on Robert Malone and how this domain thing was slow footed and, and they drug their feet on it, still going three years later. So it almost made sure that we would end up with red dust fear and mRNA. Yeah, and, and it's a really strange rationale, too. It's supposedly remdesivir popped up from this domain program, D-O-M-A-N-E, um, this uh, artificial intelligence selection tool. And I, I call this into question for a lot of reasons because, um, one, it, uh, this is a drug that had never been proven to work with anything and had a high level of known toxicity. Its association with coronavirus, for instance, is as generic as an association might get, given that um, you would need to use it early. You would need to use it early for it to be effective as an antiviral. That's what it's proposed for. It's extremely expensive, making it a bad antiviral, right? In terms of you know cost-benefit analysis. So like like already you have like this giant knock against the idea that it would be useful for anything. It had never actually worked for anything before. And if it were going to work now on something as generic as a coronavirus, you would think that the people who created it would have been trying to apply it to coronavirus or rhinovirus or something like that in the past historically. But all of a sudden it, it pops out of this artificial intelligence program with, you know, the zero success thing. It, it, it's very, very weird. It, it looks nonsensical on face, but I'm going to uh, bring up this one piece of information. Um, the um, I, I can't remember what it's called, but the coronavirus like medical um, board that was put together, that was chaired by Pence. Uh, you know, this list of people, it's, it's industry insiders. You have 16 people who have um, known connections to pharmaceutical industry, nine of those with Gilead specifically. And when you watch the history of this panel, two of those members removed their association with Gilead over the, the first like two or three months of the panel. You, when you uh, when you find the panel and you go through the, the timeline on the Wayback Machine, you can see people dropping off, like like suddenly excluding their their past history with Gilead. So there, there's there's so much to that story already. And then boom, we suddenly we have Tristan Walker and we have this presented uh, through Project Veritas before James O'Keefe can can do you know deep dives into every aspect of this, and then presented by Robert Malone, who had a connection back to this domain program. Yeah. So I, I I'm gonna I'm just gonna leave that for you to pick up. You you made a lot of good points. I mean, the first one, coronavirus task force. Coronavirus task force looks like uh, sort of the Nazis burning the papers. Uh, you know, uh, in 1945, uh, May 1945, as the Allies are closing in on Berlin. I mean, they're they're getting rid of all associations with this. Um, the person that becomes like the the Corona whisperer is a guy from the 9-11 days. His name's Stephen Hatfill. He's with a company called Lados SAIC. Lados SAIC is who cuts the purchase orders for domain. So L-E-I-D-O-S. Uh, Bob Malone has worked the last 10 years for Lados. So right away, it seems like, wait a minute, you're we're putting a guy on the task force. He's not implicitly or explicitly named, but he's the um, advisor to Peter Navarro, who's who's Trump's kind of a key advisor during all this. He's the guy who was talking about hydroxychloroquine and so forth. So Lados is covering both angles here, right? 
they're covering the new stuff that they want with the old. This guy was also Stephen Hatfill, like Hatfill Lorraine. His he was the guy suspected of the anthrax bombing for about three years, three to five years. The anthrax bomber, the person who they thought sent the anthrax letter to Leahy and then the anthrax letter to Daschle, the, the Senate majority uh, intel leader, and then the House intel, that guy is Stephen Hatfield. That's the guy they put in, Latos put in, to be the coronavirus whisperer. That seems weird. And then Latos doing the domain software and going away from their tried and true tool to this new piece of software up in Montreal uh, where there's really a 33-year-old kid's first gig and mark kulak again gets the credit here he identified the real program <clears throat> called reframe and reframe was really uh the program to look at repurposed stuff and reframe had come up with ivermectin <clears throat> the, the ai program had looked at the binding affinity and lock and key and all that and had come up with ivermectin in 2016 for darpa <clears throat> So they needed to pull reframe out of the frame here and they needed to reframe it around a new thing, which didn't work yet, uh, which was domain. Um, have you talked with JJ Cooey yet? I have seen him so many times and I was, uh, I haven't talked to him directly. No. One day if possible, I'd love to have you guys on at the same time because I'd be curious the mixing of the conversation. But I was in, I was talking with him the other day about what is possible to do with artificial intelligence. Right. When I look at, at the domain program, um, so I, I have a background uh, in finance. Uh, at the end of my career on Wall Street, I was actually doing uh, machine learning work, like coming up with algorithms to try to um, combine stock trading with stock option trading. But, you know, one way or another, um, you know, machine learning, uh, artificial intelligence kind of gets overhyped in a lot of in a lot of domains. <laughs> um, you know, I, I was reaching for that word, accidental pun. Um, so you know, can, can an artificial intelligence program, you know, competently promote the correct drug in a situation with, with something like a pandemic outbreak. And I think even if the information level were very, very high, I think it's, it's, the answer is basically no. And the claim is kind of like surgosphere, right? Um, the claim is, would require like this hefty leap to happen at this one special moment in time when you needed for it to happen for a very particular narrative. But it, it, the, the equivalent of this, of this achievement is kind of like monkeys uh, suddenly having the infinite typewriters, um, like literally being able to, to go through more computations than, than computers could possibly go through in the entire history of the universe um, or, or before the sun burns out. Uh, it, it's nonsensical on face, and and you know this is this is part of what need, you know people need to understand about the level of psyops that we seem to be going through in in modern technology and all of that. Um, having ha, um, having said, I, I was making a comparison to Surgisphere, and I, I want you to hear this one because I think it'll help you uh, frame some things. Surgisphere, um, do you know that story? Do you know about the Surgisphere paper on hydroxychloroquine? No, tell me. Okay. So in uh, May of 2020, uh, this guy, Sepin Desai, who created this company, Surgisphere, really he created it to be like a textbook company over a decade ago, but it was failing. Um, suddenly he starts um, publishing papers. And, and the second paper he ever publishes 
is data from all over the world, from six continents and hospitals everywhere. Um, and it says that hydroxychloroquine doesn't work. And it, it would have required an elaborate network of instantaneous data collection that would have been essentially impossible given all of like, you know, HIPAA-ish laws from all over the world, from dozens of countries uh, to be able to grab and import all this data and have it run through a database very, very quickly. And uh, when, when this came out, it was, I believe it was May 22nd, 2020. The day that it came out, I, I told my wife, my wife's a biochemist and we were watching hydroxychloroquine. I said, I said this, and I was trying to convince her that all this stuff was a fraud. She, I think she, she came and she understood, I think after the surge sphere, but day one, I, I told her, I said, this is a fake paper. I know it. I like, this is so nonsensical on so many levels. And we talked it through. Um, and and uh, about a week and a half later, it was retracted, or like a week later, it was retracted. It was forcibly retracted because there were enough of us who knew that it was a fraud immediately that we just all hit the internet and we were just like, you know, uh, we, we've got to, to push back at this one immediately. So <clears throat> uh, it, it's this big data project that is pushed forth and to make people think, oh, well, we do have these whizzy machines that can do things automatically and instantaneously. Um, no. Uh, you know, you've got to dig into these things and ask the question, you've got to dig into these things and ask the question, is this, does this make sense at all? And domain is another example where it just does not make sense. The technology is not there to do this. And in fact, it's impossible for it to be there to do this. And one way that, that viewers can, can know this is that we have, uh, we have databases of like tens of thousands of toxins that pharma studies. And, and they, they study these toxins in order to make new medicines about every kind of ailment, anything from viruses to cancers to whatever. And if we, if we had this level of power uh, with artificial intelligence, you would probably see it being applied to that, to those databases of toxins to figure out what, what plucks the harpsichord of human health well enough to solve all these other problems. But now suddenly, boom, you have this novel coronavirus and pandemic and they have this there's artificial intelligence machine. Yeah, there's a retraction from Lancet. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and 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 the the authors admitted, they, uh, uh, you know, nobody has even said that they've ever seen the database. Like that's how weird this all is. Um, but but this, I think that uh, that the domain is it's it's aggressive nonsensical. I, I call this governance by aggressive nonsensical guruism. It's this gang mentality. Um, for trying to convince people that the world is in this, you know, this certain way, and that they can push any fact on you that they want by simply saying, you know, big data says so. So, so that's where we are with this. We have, um, you know, Domain coming up with Remdesivir, just amazingly, you know, uh, picks this one very expensive drug that winds up being used as late treatment, even though even though it would really only work if it were early treatment and that is very expensive. And this is attached to this domain program and put forth by Robert Malone. And now we come full circle with James O'Keefe and he is and he, for whatever reason, he coupled with Robert Malone to present this. So again, I want to, I want to pass that off to you and ask, because I, I know that you, you followed this story, you and you and Mark in particular, and you know more about what's happened since that moment than anyone you did you find the Boston Consulting Group um, information and pass it on to O'Keefe? 
Yes. And then the moment he had it, boom, he was fired. Well, the moment he had it, he tweeted it out. He wasn't fired or the, the coup or the forced uh, furlough wasn't till the next day uh, where he was on the plane and they started the board meeting as soon as he got in the air and all that, that story <laughs> with Matt Tierman, the seven hour board meeting and the pregnant woman with the sandwich. But I should have known about this surge of fear. So that's why I keep putting up all the uh, things for, for your reference. But Mark found the second paper. So between these two papers, we at least had some firmament to stand on with our arguments about Jordan Walker and understand who he was. He had a lot more stuff with board, uh, Boston Consulting Group. And that led to the key guy, Schweitzer, who runs Boston Consulting Group, being a pawn of Klaus Schwab and World Economic Forum. And he had just spoken at Davos. And then if you go up to, to, to address your AI thing, um, the his boss, uh, Again, O'Keefe puts out this org chart, and the boss of Jordan Walker is somebody called Shuang Sarah Wu. And Shuang Sarah Wu with S-H-U-A-N-G, uh, Sarah like the normal S-A-R-A-H, Wu, uh, she is an AI person. She's a biostatistician who only a couple of months before worked for Biogen this super spreader conference in Boston. And she was a McKinsey consultant like Jordan Walker was. So it seems like, like you said, plugins, they're just plugging these people in to take certain roles right at the last minute to kind of create a, a like you would plug in an actor into a, a, a stage show. Uh, and she had a patent um, in 2018, Chuang Wu did. Well, she had a 2013 with Raytheon where Bob Malone's dad worked in AI. Um, and uh, her husband does AI as well for Alexa speech for Amazon uh, in Cambridge. So they were in New York, but then they moved to Cambridge for the last three or four years. So, so wait, who, who worked for Alexa? Uh, her husband, her husband. And the person she wrote the patent with also worked for Alexa speech. So if you're in the AI world and I'm not an AI programmer, but we used to try to do it for computer interfaces, mainly the bridge the human computer interface, HCI interface, for, for just user creature features to make programs easier. Um, and uh, she, she wrote, uh, Alexa speech is um, what they call weak AI uh, because the sound waves are really clear and you know you should be trying to interpret that and then you filter out noise. And once you get a, a speech pattern, you, you can map that pretty much to everything else the person says. And, and even that's a difficult problem. I mean, anybody yep. who drives around with, you know, Google Assist, you know, knows that uh, that has barely moved forward in five years. Yeah, you know, it's, it's it's actually gotten better. Uh, it's gotten better, uh, especially speech to text, especially if you go through this training period, uh, you know, but in, uh, you know, all these different uh, speech to text programs. But that's where they comes from. So they took a person who had this patent in 2013 in weak AI and then tried to kind of pass her off at this, like you said, going from that is sort of like driving your Volkswagen out to the Saturn V rocket and watching the launch. That's fairly weak. Uh, you know, it's not very complicated. Programming the Saturn V to get to the moon and then come back safely with everybody living in the capsule, that's the other thing, which is this moonshot type technology. Yeah. And it, yeah. it's even worse than that. This is like going from horse and buggy to like, you know, um, intergalactic travel <laughs> through wormholes yeah. or folding space or something like that. Yeah. Like claims, yeah. claims that just cannot be verified 
uh, but doing so in a matter of five years, right? <laughs> yeah. And so she had some chops in AI and so did her husband, so did her co-inventor. What's really interesting is she gets in a, a patent in 2018 for hacking into or rewriting the interface for Johnson Controls and York Air Conditioning for America's hospital systems. 85% of the U.S. hospital systems are running York Air Conditioning. And then um, most of our plants, you know, major industrial infrastructure runs on Johnson Controls. So now she's getting a, a, pro, a, a patent in that. It seems more like something that you would train a hacker to do than, than somebody who's trying to solve coronavirus, right? So, so she also has two papers that she writes with Pfizer. Um, and again, you just type, uh, right? I mean, I looked at the thing James put out and I just typed cor and coronavirus. It's compound search, Shuang, Sarah Wu and coronavirus. And immediately two papers come up that she wrote as a consultant. Uh, Lightspeed 1 and Lightspeed 2. Lightspeed 1 was sort of uh, uh, talking about how they were going to do mRNA with M uh, for vaccines and then how they were going to do mRNA for everything else, for all the therapeutics, sort of like in a tandem with what Jordan Walker's papers were. And what was even better about it was her co-author was the next person up on the, tan on the totem pole, which is a guy named Mikhail Dolston, who has been a, a you know, a smart hospital's, uh, replace all doctors with AI, WEF guy. <laughs> I mean, is a pattern emerging here? Do these people seem like they're being slotted in to push an agenda for mRNA and smart hospitals and so forth? Um, so th that leaves Borla. So you type in Borla with and coronavirus and you get a lot of different things. But if you type in mRNA, you'll get this paper he wrote basically agreeing with that whole stack of all those papers saying, yes, this is the future of this big pharmaceutical, $250 billion some pharmaceutical. We're going to do everything in vaccine, but that we're just getting started. We're going to do cancer. We're going to do the heart drugs. We're going to do the metabolic drugs. We're going to do the rare diseases. It's coming. So it seems like this is almost, you know, re ready to go. And they just hit the go button on this. Okay. So I, I have not, because I'm, I'm involved in other projects, I've not had a chance to go deep on uh Shuang Sarah Wu. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm going to mention this to you though. Um, I have a history that usually allows me to go deep quickly on yep. people her age. I don't know how much you know about my background, but I helped build this uh, company called art of problem solving years ago, you know, 20 years ago, we started building it and uh, it was a project for uh, gifted, you know, mathematically, precocious, gifted youth. We created um, a, a new educational system for them. Like I wrote a textbook, a number theory textbook for 11 to 16 year olds, right? And and we started, um, you know, like MIT changed their curriculum um, to fit, you know, what the students we were bringing them who were often like at the end of the undergraduate track, you know, by the time they entered MIT. Um, because of this network, there's like a million students who've been through Art of Problem Solving. We teach a lot of the, where we, we taught a lot of the students who would go to like the International Math Olympiad. I can usually reach into that network and find people that I hear who are high-level mathematicians working on projects. If you said Google Brain, if you say, you know, Alexa Voice or whatever, um, I can usually within an hour get somebody on the phone who knows somebody who's in, involved in one of those projects. An interesting thing to me was, this name pops up, Shuang Sarah Wu, and I don't know anyone who knows her. So, you know, 
you know, and this is like this is a first for me that that a name pops up in in a you know an AI math program, and I don't know anybody who can who who can talk about having gone to school with her, worked on projects with her. Where did she come from, first of all? And um, what you know, what is this? I, I read on your Substack something about her having many different LinkedIn profiles that that may have been populated uh, at a similar time. So I want to know what you know. <laughs> well, she uh, she comes from Shanghai, and there is a Massachusetts General Hospital in in Shanghai. Uh, it's called the Hai uh, Hao, uh, I think it is. But but we were looking at. Basically, we just like you said, we're we didn't have the course for all the, you know, the intelligence agencies had these recruiting programs for math geniuses, right? And that sounds like what you were in, and and then um, Julian Assange was in a similar type program in Australia where they were calling all the top math people and trying to get them to, you know, they teach them French, teach them how to dance, teach them which fork to use, and all that because that's where they need the polishing. But then the math, just chew that up. <laughs> so, so, so that's sort of um, what I think she is, uh, kind of a, a polyglot math genius person who can kind of be fitted to whatever the situation needs to be. And that certainly was this, uh, you know, kind of uh, get us all across the threshold from the old way we used to discover drugs to the new way. And it's going to be mRNA because we're going to be the new operating system. We're going to be the new people that who decide and we'll print the drugs. You just tell us the code and then we'll print it for you. But we're going to be that security middle layer in, in this whole process. So if you want one, that I know, too, that you're going to know a whole bunch of people. One is the cancer moonshot in um, Dolston. Uh, this third person up on the totem pole in the James O'Keefe, uh, uh, Mikhail Dolston. Uh, M-I-K-E-A-L. Uh, he's from the University of Ulm in Sweden, the southern tip of Sweden. Uh, but he's a, been a NATO guy, uh, NATO biowarfare guy with Carl Bildt and NATO for 20 years. I mean, that's his background. Uh, but he's lived in New York for 10 years. And he was the cancer moonshot guy for Joe Biden. He's the cancer moonshot. And he's also the biomarker, the human biomarker project, project, which came after the human genome project. He is, is that guy, um, which is very significant because biomarkers are the first thing that pop up when a bioagent's released and then it'll perturb the human system somehow. And the, and the third one is the human virome project, which is a joint venture between the U.S. Uh, at UC Davis uh, with... Uh, Bob Malone and and uh, Eco Health Alliance, and then George Gao, who ran the Chinese CDC, um, and this reframe program, which is Mark Kulak's the one who found it. He's like, no, if they were trying to do the ACE two, they wouldn't have been looking at the histamine receptor. They would have been looking at ACE two. Reframe actually looks at the ACE two, and it is this joint U.S. intelligence Chinese intelligence project and domain is this new lent. Literally, the kid who who came up with this he's a genius kid, no question about it. Molecular forecasters in in Montreal that they picked. Um, literally, he worked at LensCrafters right before he he went into his own business. <laughs> this is his first project. So, um, so Mark is the one who really kind of tore the cover off this and said, "What's the real infrastructure with this?" Yeah. 
and and it's been fun to keep digging. I I do spaces every day to dig on it, and we do videos and and uh, we do research compound searches. Uh, it, it's really where where anybody can uh, take any of the information and then do digging on it, and then move the ball forward. Okay, um, so this is interesting. So we we have this these connections now these these joint projects between uh, the U.S. and China. Um, they seem to involve intelligence in between, as in, you know, maybe intelligence and intelligence connecting. Um, now, uh, China is supposed to be our adversary. And I've, I've tried to hypothesize relationships between the U.S. and China. And, um, you know, other than, uh, I don't know if you know who Matthew Arrett is, he seems sure. to be, uh, okay. Um, for anybody who's not watching, he seems to be in, in the sort of um, social sphere now of, of the last American vagabond and, uh, and Whitney Webb and Johnny Vedmore and some other people. Um, and, uh, he, he has, he's saying some things that I've tried to insert into the conversation. Like, like, um, the relationship between the U S and China may not be what we've been told it was by the television for the last 40 years, uh, or 50 years. Um, that, that, uh, you know, when you look at the history of China from the opium wars onward, the West crushed China, went in, established all kinds of control networks. The rise of Mao has a lot of elements of looking like it was, you know, uh, Western led, Western controlled in particular. Um, the State Department gave him the money, not Chiang Kai-shek. Uh, and then um, uh, apparently uh, Mao was also taking money then along the way from Western cigarette companies. So you have moneyed relationships um, that seem to be steering Mao to some degree, but th th there's a lot of there's a lot of evidence that should at least be looked at that that the U.S. established control networks in China. Now it may be there are multiple factions in China, right? Um, China is obviously a very large nation, and um, and it may be that the U.S. has good control over certain factions in China. And then, then there may be rival factions. So I've been trying to work out, like, you know, to what extent is, you know, it, it, to what extent is China really operating on behalf of the U.S. or on behalf of the West? And obviously, we know it was France who went in and uh, designed and built the Wuhan Institute of Virology's BSL-4. There was no BSL-4 in all of mainland China, right? Western and, and even the French intelligence agency said, please don't do this. But but uh, 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 what's their agency that's like the NIH? Um, uh, if, if, uh, Ives Levy. Um, uh, anyway, uh, France went in and built um, built the BSL four there, and was supposed to send over fifty staff. But China, right when it was built, said, "Nope, we don't need your staff. We're just going to run this alone." So now we've got these relationships between the U.S. and China. So what do we know? What what's what's going on there? Well, first clue is the guy who runs uh, 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 in Cambridge, who runs Moderna right now, Stephen Bansell, was at BioMario. Uh, you mentioned Mario, which is this, uh, kind of a, the bio lab arm of Sanofi at Venice for developing and dealing with the Sanofi at Venice drugs, uh, Pasteur Institute, et cetera. But BioMario, M-E-R-I-O-I-U-X, something like that, E-I-U-X. -E um, so he built the lab. He built the leaky, leaky lab. He had the most to gain by uh, building a leaky lab. 
because he built the leaky lab mRNA vaccine. He built the lab to respond to the leaky. He built the vaccine to respond to the leaky lab. So that's what, the what's that name again? Oh, BioMirio. It's M E R I E U X. And 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 Stephen Bansell was the key person of, uh, before he became the CEO of of Moderna, and he and he built the lab. I mean, BioMirio built that lab. So there, so there's a lot of connections right there. But 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 I love the way you're going with the Boxer Rebellion and the Opium Wars and all that because if you look back to the British East India Company and and the Dutch East India Company even had a trade concession in Wuhan. Right along the Wuhan River there, there was a German one as well. And then, you know, they were all there. And they were all there in Shanghai. They were all there in Nanjing. They had the uh, down in uh, the south uh, of Shanghai, I think, had of them. And then further around down to Guangzhou, they had had a trade concession. So so you're right. It's the old trade concessions that's the footprint here of the intelligence agencies here. And it's the same money, the Harding Matheson Bank. You know, Whitney Webb writes a lot about this. Johnny Vedmore did more Klaus family values, but Whitney Webb wrote a lot about the China hands with the CIA, you know, going back and forth, uh, supporting Chiang Kai-shek with the bio weapons and then moving on. But that all was based in Wuhan. So that's pretty interesting. But our investigation moved it forward a little bit more to more Blackwater, Blackwater Health in Hong Kong with a guy named Matt Pottinger. Um, and Matt Pottinger was the key guy who was on the uh, National Security Council that made the recommendation to uh, to Trump about coronavirus in China. He was also the guy who was in the State Department during SARS in 2003, 2002, 2003. His father, Stan Pottinger, was also the key ex advisor to Kissinger. So it's very, uh, this intelligence connection that you hit on is critical because that is the answer to the test, I think, when it's all said and done. There has to be a coordinating body between these two behemoths to know who are the key people to put together in a task force to get this thing done. And I think you, you hit on it. It's, it's got to be somebody in the middle. And of course, um, you know, Blackwater starts the spy school in Hong Kong right before the breakout. So that's, that's maybe a smoking gun here. Ish Wang Wu and Jordan Walker, are they graduates of that spy school? You know, that's speculation at this point. Uh, but like you said, they do seem to get plugged in here like it's an op. Right. So, okay. Um, uh, Liam asked the question, all these profiles on LinkedIn of Shuang, Sarah Wu, um, it, are, are these, uh, do we know if, if these are the same person? Um, you, you'd mentioned in an article that uh, they seem to have been created, you know, in the ballpark at the same time. Is this some sort of like confusion trail mess? Um, or, or is there any way for us to know? Is it just, you know, too much data, shotgun, we'll never quite figure it out? Well, there are a certain services that you can subscribe to that investigators use, like Truthfinder, Checkmate, uh, Instant Checkmate, those, those kind of services. So if you look at those services, they have a central person who's not Chuang Wu creating all these Chuang Wu's. Uh, there is a real pictures of a real uh, seminar with real quotes, you know, where Shuang Wu is pictured at Biogen. So we think that's the real Shuang Wu. On the on the one that um, James O'Keefe put, it, it's just the, her name. There's no picture. And to this day, you know, I've asked James and so forth and asked the old Project Veritas folks, has anybody produced a picture other than mine at the Biogen? 
Now, it could have been uh, when you create these fake LinkedIn's, it's to uh, reach out to various different biopharma organizations. So uh, there was about 20 of these, and they're all coming from one person, um, about 20 of these that are in the bio area. So let's say I'm, uh, let's say Moderna. Now I reach out to all my friends and develop a friend network in Moderna. And then I do the same thing with, uh, you know, the various other bio uh, companies in Cambridge, because what I want to do in, in, at the super spreader event at the end of February, I want to create sort of a mass formation psychosis around getting everybody to believe that everything you knew, like you said about drug development with test tubes and pipettes and robotics, uh, well plates and all the things that you know works. We have to suspend that thinking for a little bit and think a computer actually could spit out the answer. Right. And so we have to go through this kind of we're all stupid. We don't know anything about this new novel thing. And now this thing spits out the right answer. And Bob Malone is the guy who spits it out with a book. He says, hey, I got sick with this famotidine uh, with um, coronavirus. And I put out this thing, Pepsid AC, famotidine and it actually worked. So let's look at this famotidine and let's let's not look at ivermectin. Let's not look at hydroxychloroquine. It's a very interesting time. We don't have all the information yet. We're still digging. So that's a, a very speculative answer. Right. And, uh, you know, for anybody, um, it, I, I don't talk about it as much as I used to, but I have um, I, I did a series, the chloroquine wars that where I've got over 100 articles in the very beginning of that. I, I put out a lot of information, um, including uh, the fact that hydroxychloroquine had been studied since 2004, shortly after SARS-CoV-1. Uh, their papers, um, Kertz and uh, and eventually um, uh, Didier Raoul, um, uh, the the most published microbiologist in the world from France, um, he, he's got one from like 2007. Um, so you would think hydroxychloroquine would pop up first out of some sort of a machine when you have multiple papers, you know that had tested, you know, chloroquine in particular, but hydroxychloroquine is basically the same thing, just a little less toxic. Um, you would think that, that, that this machine would spit that out near the top of the list, if not the very top. Right. Um, so, the, you know, that's very suspicious and weird and just nonsensical, you know, frankly, well, but Mark Kulak, I think solved that because he, he pointed me to the reframe. And when I found out reframe was actually pointed at the ACE2, you're right. It would spit out ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine, but they pointed it at a different receptor called the histamine receptors, which are mainly in your nose. You know, the Singulair and, and Zyrtec was two of the things that spit out. It spit out all things for nasal passage type stuff. So that may have been the gypsy switch that they did with this new domain and then histamine rather than uh, like you just said, it would it should have come out with things that were. Uh, coronavirus like and they did ah, okay okay yeah. this is this is a big moment then i i, I didn't I, I saw mark talking about this but didn't have time um to focus in on it um this is revelatory right here and and i'll i'll, I'll give a a scientific take on this so um now they they may have run this program on both ace2 and the histamine and only published the result, right? Like, unless you have a perspective, like we're going to go in and we're going to run the program this way, you know, have the perspective, the perspective plan published, and then the result, then it's very suspicious. Like, and why did they only run it for the histamine? Now, um, going back also, like I said, I don't believe that such a program is trustworthy. I think that it's nonsensical. 
in fact. But just the fact that you could get two different sets of outputs by focusing on ACE2 and fo focusing on the histamine receptor suggests that you have a deep flaw in the actual algorithm. You, it, shouldn't, it shouldn't change the answer if the algorithm is going to give you a result that would be, you know, that would be necessarily the best result, right? Like if you can change such a such an important parameter and get totally different results, then you should not trust any of them without then, you know, checking all of the other ones. So, so already like that, that already should debunk the notion that this thing would have been trustworthy by anyone who understands a simple logic tree. I mean, you know, or, or who understands AI and, and, and the logic tree. So, yeah, that, that objection it. actually came out by a scientist. What you just said there, you okay? Yeah, you aimed at the wrong thing. There's this guy named Canigliaro in the in the study in the domain study, who's kind of the hero. He's the Northwell in the Northwell study. Uh, Bob Malone worked for Alchem, and then Alchem uh, uh, is the in charge of ferret, uh, ferreting out these little studies. So they have this Canigliaro runs this study. Canigliaro says you got to include hydroxychloroquine for exactly what you just said just like hey i've had a whole career in this i know hcq should be on the list and it's not it's all nasal it's all histamine and he's like eh. and this is where there's a big falling out between malone and the board the the review board and this is why malone supposedly says he leaves the study and this could jeopardize the study so we don't have all the information but your instincts here are, are spot on and, and Mark found that too as well. <laughs> I just throw give credit where credit's due. I should have Mark on again soon. Um, this is this is fantastic. I, I feel like I'm learning very quickly in, in real time about this. So um, you know, one one thing that, that frustrated me was there was sort of a rush to judgment a little bit with um, with the Project Veritas story, and you know, it, it, it's understandable. It's such a heavy topic. And then, you know, it, it seems like such a, a, you know, it is such a large bomb, but I, I felt like, you know, this may take weeks to sort out maybe, you know, I, and it wasn't my primary focus, but, but that, that different people were going to be able to take the same story, put their own information framing around it, right. Put their, put their own framing around it and sell it as something different. And, and a lot of people might do this accidentally, like take one of these framings and then, you know, and then run with it as, as this is what the story is, right? And there are a lot of people who, who do this because they trust James O'Keefe. Um, it sounds like you, you find James O'Keefe trustworthy. I right? do. Okay. I, do. Um, I haven't found any, any particularly good reason not to. I know that he has a couple of interpersonal conflicts, but, uh, you know, without, without, you know, digging deeply into those, like, I, I know that he's, he's, he's won all his lawsuits over his information, Right. Uh, it, it, it looks like he, he's done a, a pretty good job at the journalism aspect over the years. Um, so but and so a lot of people, I think, wanted to to grab onto his his uh, character on that level and say, you know, look, he, you know, he, he's been very good in the past. But that's a different thing than that. That's a that's a is the is his part of that story trustworthy and what are the other aspects of the story that it could be, you know, seen from different angles to get the big picture, right? And 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 I felt like there was sort of a rush to make it look like one thing, at least by some people. And it felt to me like like it, it just looked on face. Like my instincts were this is a psyop. 
on some level, right? So, yeah, I think this is the difference between being a deep researcher and somebody who uh, is a great presenter. Um, because James O'Keefe, you know, he's a Shakespearean actor, he's a dancer, he's a singer, you know, he's a star in Oklahoma, all this stuff. He's a great presenter. Uh, but he's not the Mark Kulak, you know, journey to the bottom of the earth, you know, voyage to the bottom of the sea in terms of depth. And so, like, it's like a Shakespearean scholar sitting next to a regular person watching a Shakespearean play. If you are hearing James O'Keefe say, you know, you know, we'll bear our arms and bear our souls and, you know, on the this Christmas day, you'll say, Oh, I know that's the Henry V speech out in front of half, half lure or out in front of, you know, whatever. But then somebody sitting next to it says, it just sounds like Shakespeare to me. But if somebody was to tell the expert, well, that is from Romeo and Juliet, the person would say, I know it's not from Romeo and Juliet. I'm a, you know, that's the Mark Kulak in the audience where they, they go, no, 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 no. That's not how it worked. That's not how that study actually worked. So Robert Malone, I, I kind of cast as that sort of character as well on the other side of this story, not the reporter, but the person being reported on. Robert Malone is sort of the world's most interesting man. He did that commercial of being the world's most interesting man, you know, about the Dos Equis commercial, but he did it with wine. And he's yeah. actually he's actually probably smarter and, and plays that role better. But when you get into these details that's where the Mark Kulak starts catching him. And then he gets very frustrated and very angry. And then he starts lashing out and saying things, you know, at people who are just saying, wait a minute, I'm just fact checking here. I'm the script guy here. And you right. didn't say the right words. <laughs> so that's what's happening. I think right now. Hmm. Okay. So, huh. I, I feel like I feel like in order to ask better questions at this point, I may have to do um, some more of my own reading again. Um, so, it, it, you know, where where do we go from here? I, yeah, I guess I could just um, you know toss the ball back to you. Um, what are or actually? I'm going to read something from the chat here. Here's Kristen Elizabeth. I don't know if you know her yet, by the way. She um, she's uh, come on uh, rounding the earth uh, a few times, and she does uh, good research. She wrote the Themis report. Mm -hmm. um, on Carolina Benita and a number of other people. And that's been kind of interesting, um, uh, which, which interestingly, uh, when I, the last time I, I've seen, I've met Bob Malone twice, uh, Robert Malone, I, I call him Robert still, but, uh, uh, I met him. Um, I went to San Juan for the, the San Juan summit, COVID, uh, global COVID summit kickoff stuff. And then I saw him again at, um, children's health defense in October. And when I saw um, Robert, he was interested in figuring out who Carolina Benita was uh, and had a private investigator look into it. But we, we still don't know exactly what all came out of that. But Kristen Elizabeth wrote the Themis report that went down um, um, Carolina Benita and some other people. She asked the question, if, if Walker was trained at the spy school in China run by Blackwater, then he and O'Keefe were both trained by Eric Prince. I've heard this story before, which is, uh, you know, uh, Project Veritas is a Blackwater cutout and uh, Eric Prince is the person funding it and so forth. And Quok, you know, is in this story. The guy who just got uh, Bannon's guy, Quok, who owned all the casinos. Uh, these two Massachusetts General Hospitals that uh, seem to be coming up in the story uh, seem to be funded sort of like their casino medicine, like the casinos have decided to get out of the just being casinos and 
and, and funding uh, these two Massachusetts general hospitals that are there where, where they may have worked. So there is some intelligence connections here. Kwok uh, just has gotten arrested. Uh, he has been very closely connected with Eric Prince of Blackwater. Uh, he's been accused of using the uh, casino money uh, for black op type operations. So, so there's a lot of that going on in, on the China side with Shuang Wu. And Jordan Walker also did an intensive five-month Mandarin course with, with, with Boston Consulting Group. So it could, and I went to Boston, I went to the uh, MGH, and I went to Boston Consulting Group, and I went to all these places, and he wasn't at that location. So the only other MGH hospital, Mass Gen hospitals he could have been at would have been the Shanghai Hospital or the Hanin Hospital. And that would kind of make sense if that was his boss, Shuang Wu was his boss. But having said all that, those are all just speculations. We don't have the, the, the nail down on any of that. But, but as far as the intelligence connections at Project Veritas, those really aren't James O'Keefe. Those really go to this Barry Hinckley, the one he fired. Barry Hinckley is the guy that came in who had Hinckley yachts. They sold Hinckley yachts to Bain Capital, Mitt Romney. You know, the CIA is doing compromise operations out on these Hinckley yachts and so forth. So, there, so there's all this, the intelligence connections that I found. I went to his polo club in Wellington, Florida. I went to his yacht club in Boca Raton. I, I, I followed all the millionaires and Russian billionaire yacht parties he went to. He seems to be the guy with the intelligence connections. And I don't think James knew about all those connections. Matt Tiermann. Right. So Matt, he, he, he may have been like the handler yeah. inserted into the ecosystem uh, in order to try to control O'Keefe and to be able to, to punch the self-immolation button at, at the moment when it needed to be punched. Um, so, you know, there's that possibility. I, and I, I've thought about that. I, I've wondered if, if uh, O'Keefe's board uh, had somebody inserted or, or you know, everyone inserted, uh, perhaps, to sit and watch and to try to control him, but to otherwise let him go naturally as much as possible in order to build up the fact that he was doing good journalism, but then to be able to um, perhaps steer and try to try to exhibit, you know, uh, influence in some ways. And so, okay, I didn't know this. O'Keefe fired Hinckley. Um, I don't know much about Hinckley yet. This is some of, this is some reading I'm going to have to catch up on. Uh, Christian Elizabeth says, uh, James O'Keefe publicly posted from Eric Prince's property in Montana, where he said he was training with Prince. So, um, and, and it may be that he, well, okay. I, I'll, I'll just throw that out there. The, 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 there is places where uh, they used to have these kind of Shakespearean schools where you it, it's it's intelligence training. So you walk out on the stage and you don't know what play it is. And then the characters start talking back and forth. And then they start looking to you to respond. And you're supposed to kind of just go with it until you can figure out what play it is. Right. And I think that's the training that they were doing in Montana. Uh, but I don't think it was the, hey, let's put the poison dart gun together and see how far we can shoot the poison. You know, I don't think it was the black ops, you know, type training that we think of when we think Blackwater. I think it was more the, what they call the soft intelligence side, which is role-playing and you're going to be a oil executive, James Bond types things, you know, where you go in and you have to be some new persona for some role. So right. I, right. Okay. This is very interesting um, because um, 
uh, I, th there's a program that, that I grew up in a, in an arm of this program, uh, that is uh, the remote viewing program, essentially. And I've tried to help people understand or, or tried to investigate it myself and to help people understand. I, I had a brother who was, who was brought very deeply into that. He's deceased now, but, um, but he wound up, um, you know, selling drugs as part of the rainbow family, um, that followed around like the grateful dead and all that. And that had intelligence connections. Um, but, what what I've gotten from my understanding of remote viewing, a lot of people go, well, if there wasn't this actual psychic activity, why was it allowed to go on for years and spent hundreds of millions of dollars doing this? And I said, well, wait, you know, you've got to consider that the intelligence agencies were trying to figure out how to um, create sort of, you know, guru actors in a sense um, who, who could, who could have followings follow them, but maybe be able to control the actor and what it is that they were projecting and programming into their audience. And, and this is, this has been an argument that I've had and talked about privately, but haven't had the time to develop this yet. So this makes a lot of sense to me that O'Keefe could be involved in training where he doesn't actually know the exact methodology for the training. And if, if somebody wants something to point to, to investigate a little bit further, I would say, look into Yuri Geller's story, because Yuri Geller's story, it, it, he was a nightclub magician in Israel, uh, who was, a, uh, you know, he was a model, he was known to have good stage presence. Uh, and he would literally argue to his audience that I'm actually doing real magic, that it's not just a nightclub performance. And he was brought into the Stanford Research Institute which was the inception of remote viewing, which was then pulled into the DOD. So we know that this was, um, you know, sort of psychological work with people who would then be able to be play roles as actors and then brought into the DOD because it was recognized um, how it could be weaponized and, and you know, made into uh, part of the general uh, intelligence program. I don't know if I've explained that well. I, I tried to, to pick enough to to give some sense sorry the remote viewing experiments uh exactly what you're saying was a tremendous uh, uh thing about uh, brain activity so um, mit as you mentioned sri and and stanford they they brought in the best and the brightest to see if they if it was how they make connections differently or how they store information differently what makes these people smarter than and so the remote viewing i think is more stimulus to see what the response would be. They did a program where they collected the best and the brightest to see if there was something that they could train to get people, everybody that they had think like these savants. Well, that, that's I, the public side. Having been involved yeah. on it uh, as a yeah. child, where, where they tried to train us as children in this program, it was all bullshit. Uh, excuse me. I'll since now. First-hand experience. So you, you can say whatever, you know. Yeah, I, I watched the experiments like with like my brother and, and literally watched them alter results, you know, like like switch my results with his on certain tests. And, and I would watch, um, you know, like literally uh, like non-verifiable experiments like, um, you know, what number am I thinking about? No matter what he would say, it was always like, that's correct. That's correct. But but nothing to verify it. Right. Um, it, it, and, and then I watched my brother get trained to be able to tell people total nonsense and get them to believe it. Um, like the, the, it was clear that this was a program that had a, a public face that was going to be very complicated, but it was, it was, it was definitely something very different. It was an inf it was more about influence and creating influencers than it was about 
anything. And that's going to be a complicated conversation. Um, you know, maybe you and I can have that conversation. Uh, I, I want to lay it out more clearly for people on another day, but I just haven't had time. Um, but uh, somebody says David Koresh, and that, that's possible. Um, I, I do know that uh, that Jim Channing, who brought these programs into the DOD, did so after going into California and studying people who were similar to David Koresh, who ran like compounds and and uh, and their own sort of guru networks. So, but you know, um, we're we're kind of getting a, a field of the primary topic. Um, I, I wanted to mention that so that people could have some perspective on how it is that you know the DoD and intelligence has been operating for a number of years and creating programs where that might include you know people like me or people like James O'Keefe or something like that and that we may not know the nature of what it is that they're doing with these programs. Yeah, I, I just to throw in uh, Matt Tiermond, who sort of was that handler. He's also the guy doing the coup with a seven hour meeting and so forth. He has a very different profile. He has seven, uh, 12 years with James. Hinckley only has the last four months. And he was much uh, softer handler with James uh, mm -hmm. in, in the sense that he set James up well with a lot of the interviews, he did a lot of talking points. He did a lot of copious notes. He really boxed, you know, drew a box around what was what framed, what was going to be told in the story. He moved James off of the Lucky Charms in the you know the Rutgers lunchroom, and moved him up into a lot of much more serious journalism. And he's kind of this uh, lower middle class. Uh, Jewish kid from Brooklyn, the Flatbush, you know, kind of area. And he kind of is the, the, the person striving for the approval of the of the yacht types, the Rhode Island yacht types like the Hinckley's. So 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 that worked well with James. Uh, for some reason, that chemistry really worked well. And, and the whole apple cart was overturned when Hinckley came in and, and James fired him, you know, and then the whole thing unfolds and unravels. So it's it's interesting. Hmm. I wonder if I could get uh, uh, James on uh, around in the year sometime, and 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 it, it, it seems like this is a, a really good time to have a different conversation with him. Um, but I, I'm very curious. Does, does he have a website yet as to like what his next yeah. project is going to be? Yeah, OMG! Oh my God, is uh, OMG is his thing. I see someone in the uh, chat uh, rounding the earth talking about Inserm, and that's correct. That is the um, NIH of 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 France and one of the heads of Inserm, who was from Lyon, I went the summer, followed up on it. Uh, he was actually at the ribbon cutting. He was one of the people who cut the ribbon at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Yeah, that's Ives Levy. Yeah, Ives Levy. Yeah, uh, and he definitely has, you know, uh, uh, DG uh, connections, French intelligence connections for sure. Yeah. Um, and that whole thing with Macron, Macron's very connected with the Rothschild banking arm of the French Rothschild banking arm, French intelligence. So this is exactly correct here, this insert. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, just to mention uh, the two French health ministers, um, I, I can't remember the name of the first one, but she went to the organization that funded Andrew Hill, who retracted his ivermectin meta-analysis. Uh, unit aid, unit aid. Um, so when when with when Wuhan Institute of Virology was founded, she was with Ives Levy at the ribbon cutting, if I recall correctly, and and she uh, wound up going to Unit Aid as the executive director and controlled the purse strings uh, from there. 
the next French health minister is Ives Levy's wife, Agnes Buzin. And she was the one who was responsible on October 8th of 2019, starting the paperwork process to remove hydroxychloroquine from being an over-the-counter medicine to put it on the list to poisonous substances. So like that, that alone right there, that's, that just screams, Hey, there was preparation for all of this. And she's going to be the person who said it was fish tank cleaner and somebody else is going to be saying the horse dewormer, you know, to, to trash the existing uh, repurposed. Yeah. It's really a fascinating, it's a very small group of people as well. Uh, that's the, that's the beauty of this. And James is, I think about ready to change and kind of caterpillar to the moth from just being a song and dance kind of guy. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean, he's a spectacular superstar journalist, but I think he's about ready to move into this citizen journalism thing like you have with the campfire and Mark has, and and I try to keep up with you guys. That is the future for James O'Keefe. I think that's the promise here where we can win if we really get in there and exploit what we've already like, like your campfire has already got all the answers. We just need somebody to go in there and take a swath, a scoop of the ice cream every once in a while and create little vignettes, two to three minute vignettes of the ice cream that's already in the, in the can there. Yeah. Obligatory reminder. The moment I talked to uh, George Webb and I mentioned campfire wiki, he says, Oh, that's great. You know, we need more of those things to, to draw people toward the moment I mentioned to Mark Kulak, he says, oh, that's great. I run my own wikis, too, and I you know, I can save them that way and blah, blah, blah. Um, interestingly, uh, for a year and a half, I had trouble getting almost anyone in the medical freedom movement to acknowledge it, get interested in it, participate it, or promote it. And and I, 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 I try to say that out loud every now and then just to get people to understand that um, there's almost no way in the world that the medical freedom movement, uh, that, that a lot of the leadership isn't compromised. Right now, there are certain people like there are people who've been there for years um, who probably just have so much coming their way. They don't have time to pay attention to it. But there are also these new leaders in the movement. Right. Um, New leaders might include uh, Robert Malone, um, uh, Steve Kirsch, uh, Brett Weinstein. Um, I I know none of the three of them um, seems to have promoted the Campfire Wiki, including Brett Weinstein, who, you know, was named sort of in honor of his discussions of knowledge around the campfire, right? It's been frustrating me and surprising to me that they haven't been interested in this, but I'm really glad now um, that, you know, you've sort of jumped in. I don't know how long you've been sort of focused on pandemic research. um, From the very beginning. Yeah, yeah. From the very beginning. Okay. Before the pandemic, I'd watched a number of your videos previously. But when I started doing my own research, uh, I guess I fell away from watching as many videos. So I I didn't know until more recently that you were tracking uh, a lot of things. Um, But uh, one of the things I, uh, since we talked about that, you know, mining campfire uh, archive, the database, um, uh, Peter Duke of Hollywood, creative director, a guy I work with on the West Coast, he came up with this thing called ReadWise. It's a it's a collating tool, ReadWise. Uh, it's like Instapaper, if you remember that. But what it does is it goes through all of your Kindle books. And I buy a, lot, a ton of books on Kindle. And it takes all your bookmarks and it collates those. And then you could also go to Campfire Wiki and then pick individual URLs. And then it has a highlighting tool and so forth. And then... The important thing it does is it does kind of a 
uh, interval recall so that once you store it and say, I want to read that later, it kind of reminds you of here's the things you highlighted in that article, just kind of brings it top of mind so that you can then go in and read it. Because I think if you if if anybody watching this broadcast would just go in into the campfire wiki with your existing bookmarks and just tag 10 hydroxychloroquine articles or 10 anything, 10 remdesivir, and write a three-paragraph treatment or do a three-minute video of here's what I learned when I wrote these 10 articles, it, it's, it links those things with metadata, and now we can find them. Discovery is much easier, and they'll come up in the social media easier as well. Just my ad here. <laughs> Mark, I say the same thing for Mark's archive because it's people going through, like I call it, the scoop of ice cream into the end of the ice cream vat. Don't be like Joe Biden. Don't have refrigerators full of ice cream. You got to get in there with a scooper. And, and that's what I encourage people to do. Yeah. And, and I think for a lot of people, and, and I'll say this, uh, even though I, I've thrown a lot of my time into the pandemic, um, one of my frustrations is like, you know, where do I, like whenever I'm looking for um, like some of Mark's information, like where do I go to find this? It's actually not easy to um, keep up with and be able to interface. And, and I know Mark personally, right? So, so you know, if it's difficult for me to access, then um, then then we probably do need some tools that that sort of interface and draw the information that we need. Uh, and I've I've been trying to tell this to a number of people. Look, um, it, artificial intelligence is being presented and sold to us as something that is like scary, but we actually need to learn these technologies ourselves and employ them ourselves and have that knowledge be decentralized, useful by everybody as much as possible in order to, you know, combat the usage of what is a tool by, you know, larger centralized figures that can just throw money at the problem and, and, uh, and use it against us. So uh, I, I just want to say that out loud to once again, encourage people like, you know, don't don't uh, you know go to anti-technology. Uh, don't become a luddite uh, when you know just because we're faced with people who seem to be developing these tools for purpose of asymmetric, you know, warfare or asymmetric control. So you know, I just want to say that out loud a few times so that so that people think okay. uh, I, I can do this myself. And one of the two ways to merge two databases is just to have you and Mark get on a show together and just talk about what's in there because just that cross uh, talk between you two guys will will generate a huge col these collections that we need to focus on uh, because it's in the collections when you kind of do the gathering gathering the string to do the story is what reporters do and then they can write the story but until you gather the string you can't really write off any uh, sources so so keep doing what you're doing because this is you know reporters watch this kind of stuff and they go wow this is great because Boom, 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 boom. Here's all my sources. I don't have to go do all that my stuff myself. So it's good stuff. Yeah. Um, so anything else, uh, you know, moving toward toward wrap up here, um, you know, to me, this has been a wonderful conversation because I can see that you and I have both been, um, you know, collecting sources of information for several years. And as we like compare this sort of like scattering of data points and dots, we can see a lot of connections, but we both come at it from completely different directions. Um, just very organically, it seems like, um, it, you know, it, so that, that's been very interesting for me to watch. And I'll say this, that hasn't happened between me and most of the people in the medical freedom movement. And, and I've, I've wondered at times, like, how much am I being gaslighted by which different people? 
right? And that's the other thing. I, I don't really think of myself as being in any movement. Um, I, I, I think of myself as a journalist trying to play it down the middle of the fairway. Sure. And my number one test is if, if I did this story about Joe Biden, would that be fair? If I'm doing this story about Trump or whatever. Um, so, you know, I, the medical freedom movement, uh, you know, has got a lot of DNC people in it. Steve Kirsch is one of the biggest contributors to the DNC. So I, I have to factor that in. 20 million bucks is a lot of money. So, you know. Right. Yeah, you're the Rockefeller Foundation guy. Yeah. Be and, careful who and, your heroes are. Yeah. And, and uh, building, uh, trying to build a uh, central bank digital currency um, as the pandemic got underway. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, the, there's all of that. And uh, let's see, where's, where's my mind on this? How can I wrap this up and frame this? Um, people, people need to talk and people need to pay attention to how it is people are talking and whether or not they're talking, right? There needs to be more communication. The medical freedom movement, it, yeah, it, it, I don't really consider myself in a movement either, but it's an important concept to just sort of draw a circle around the cluster of people who have influence at the moment, whether that influence existed before, it was cultivated during the pandemic, and and to you know put some sort of a general libertarian label as in people who are saying freedom of any sort uh, are trying to push back against some control, or at least ostensibly. And, to, you know, there, there's that. So it, it's a term that can't ever be well-defined, but it has some sort of meaning to it. And I think, um, you know, certainly we should all sort of say that we're, we're a part of it if we're interested in freedom. Um, and at the same time, um, we don't have to identify as in like it doesn't, you know, define who we are. Right. Um, right. But, but yeah, it is, freedom it is versus yeah. Yeah. I'm for freedom versus censorship. Absolutely. Yes. And medical freedom is, is a fundamental human right. So I'm definitely for all that. Yeah. I, I guess when I, uh, uh, like you say, I would, uh, it's much more valuable. I mean, the, the, you could have a bunch of remdesivir seminars for litigation. Right. And if it's a bunch of DNC folks taking the names, I'm like, wait a minute, that's not a good thing. It's the IRS is going to be knocking on my door after I go to the seminar. Right. But but your show, if I go to the, you know, the campfire wiki and I'm going to look at all the stuff you've accumulated on hydroxychloroquine, I know that there's nobody between me filtering me or, you know, guiding me or sheltering me. I, I know it's a free access like WikiLeaks. You know, and that's a very, that's freedom. That's true freedom. Not, well, you, I, you know, we only will give you a press pass if you're going to ask nice questions. <laughs> if you ask any domain questions, you're not, you know, Bob Malone rejected. They, I originally was accepted here in Atlanta for the Remdesivir conference, and then they revoked it once I got to the seminar. Okay. So, you know what, um, before, before we wrap up, I'm going to, I'm going to toss you one question since science is about trying to falsify your views. Uh, and I listened to a wonderful uh, Carrie Mullis talk uh, about that the other day. You know, um, you can never prove that you're right, but you could prove that you're wrong. And and the adventure is trying to prove that you're wrong. Um, give your best defense of Robert Malone, and then we'll bring this to a close. That's going to be hard. <laughs> uh, you know, my best defense of Robert Malone is that he really kind of came up um, – is not really a, a hardcore scientist. Um, he had a lot of 
early trouble with his early bosses. Indira Verma uh, was big into injecting the RNA into naked RNA and, and, and fat bubble type RNA. Um, and so he had a whole kinds of fights with him at, uh, at, at Vical, the company he was at. He had other run-ins with other uh, people, Gary Rhodes, uh, who was also injecting the mRNA with the fat bubble and naked RNA, and then John Wolf. All of those guys died. So it's like, or Vinder Verma didn't die. He was kind of sexually compromised. But, but my point is, Bob Malone isn't moving these people out of Bob Malone's way. But the way is being cleared for Bob Malone for some reason. And I think it's because he presents so well. He chooses his words so carefully. He's very clear. He, he's just like a, a walking outline on anything he talks about. So I think Bob Malone has a decision to make. Do I want to ride the back of the tiger, so to speak? Wink, wink. Because um, DTRA really is an extension of the DOD. Okay. He's not on the, he's not putting vac viruses all over the world and creating pandemics. He's doing the vaccines, but that's still part of the virus vaccine game. And I, I, more than a defense, I would offer a challenge to Bob Malone. Whose side do you want to be on? And I guess I'll leave it there. That sounds great. Uh, thanks so much. And, and, and he is a complicated topic. Um, and, and, and I've gone back and forth as to, you know, as to how much uh, judgment I should have at any point in time. And I've sort of left it open and intentionally not answered the question. A lot of people wanted to like punch my button to make me take sides. Um, but it, you know, it, it's an interesting rabbit hole, just, you know, going down and, and unraveling his career. And thanks for having done some of that work for us. Thanks for joining us today, George. Uh, it's been uh, great to, to, you know, we, we, we've talked by phone, but this is the first time we've, we've talked face to face. And I appreciate that you come on and, and share your knowledge and, and for us to bounce off each other this way. Uh, I think that this has been very productive. Me too. It's been fantastic. I, I knew you were a genius, but now I know for sure. <laughs> so, and, 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 and talking to people smarter than yourself, it raises my IQ. I love this. So I, I hope I, can I, well, I, I, I don't know if I, if I, if I'm necessarily smarter than anybody else, but it, it is, you know, we are, we are all smarter when we talk with each other. Right. Yeah. I mean, for sure. Uh, and that's the way that it should be. So thanks so much. And I hope that, um, you know, I, I know that the rounding the earth audiences has, has gotten a lot out of this. Awesome. Um, well, thanks everybody for, for joining us. Uh, the, uh, you know, three digit number of people, uh, watching, uh, we, we greatly appreciate your support. I hope this has been educational. If it has been, you know, share this conversation with somebody, uh, you know, I don't say this very often, go ahead and click that subscribe button. I should, I should do that and remind people. I know other people do, but, uh, you know, uh, you know, me at this point, uh, I'm, I'm trying, I'm, I'm focused on the conversation and, and the people who are, who are here and involved as much as I can be. Um, and, and I, you know, don't even have enough wherewithal to keep my buttons set, but that, that's the way it is.